celebrating 25 years of Utah's outdoor and Western lifestyle, Western Life Radio is coming up next. Celebrate the 60th anniversary of Utah State Parks with an annual State Parks Pass. Visit Utah's crown jewels throughout the year with a wide range of activities for your entire family. From boating and fishing to special events or educational opportunities, Utah State Parks offers plenty of adventures, scenery, and memories. An annual State Park Pass gives your family day use access to most of Utah's 43 parks, featuring history, beauty, and recreation. $75 annual passes are good for 12 months from date of purchase. And don't forget to make camping reservations year-round. Options include tent sites, deluxe RV sites, cabins, yurts, and teepees. Stop by the trailhead for your next outdoor adventure at stateparks.utah.gov. Get ready to ride PWCs and OHVs this summer season with Utah State Parks Online Education. OHV education is required for youth aged 8 to 15 and PWC education is required for youth aged 12 to 17. Utah's personal watercraft and off-highway vehicle youth education programs required by law are now online at www.stateparks.utah.gov. Become a certified good guy or gal. Get your concealed firearms permit. TaylorGunsmithing.com Get connected with lightning-fast internet and telephone service through Rise Broadband. Formerly Digis, Rise Broadband raises the bar to internet service, connecting you with family, friends, businesses, and information you need every day. Rise Broadband is dedicated to connect customers with people and things that they value most, covering rural, remote, and suburban areas. Whether you're researching the latest news, enjoying the latest blockbuster movie, or chatting with friends, Rise Broadband provides reliable connections for everyone. For more information, visit risebroadband.com or call 844-411-RISE. Again, that's 844-411-RISE. Play safe. Don't be a boating statistic. Nearly 80% of people who drowned in boating accidents would have survived if they'd only worn their life jacket. Anyone being towed from a boat, operating a personal watercraft, and children 12 and under must wear life jackets at all times. Utah State Park Rangers recommend everyone wear a life jacket. Utah boaters wear it. A message from the Utah State Parks Boating Program.
Mr. David Richards now joins us around the campfire with Sportsman's Warehouse. We're talking up some fantastic fishing opportunities in the area. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes with us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It is an awesome time of year to get out. Those terrestrial patterns are the thing to use. Hopper patterns are magical on some of these rivers. I know the Green River, as we get a little closer to some of those frosts, you toss a few of those on, and those fish are so aggressive looking for that big meal. They'll take them pretty aggressively, and if you can hit the right spot and at the right time, yeah, it can make for some fast fishing, and generally it'll be some of the bigger trout in the area that'll really come aggressively for them. And they'll work a little harder for it, too, I've noticed. Using those smaller patterns, they can come and go. There's another one around the corner all the time, but those larger insect patterns, they're a little more aggressive to pick up on that extra protein. Yeah, absolutely. I kind of look at it as a return on investment for fish. They want to know that the energy they expend, they're going to get more energy in return. So, yeah, they see a big meaty offering like a grasshopper going by, and they'll chase them. And sometimes that's one of the fun ways to fish is add a little twitch to it and skate across the water a little bit and watch these trout just come and run them down. And they're almost mad by the point they get to it, and so they'll really hit it hard. That they will, and you're on for a battle. It is so much fun, and you're right. The larger ones are the ones that are certainly targeting it. They know what it means to get a big piece of protein in their mouths. And in August, the ant patterns are very successful on the Uintas and places like that, too. Yeah, absolutely. Ironically, I was up there yesterday, and that's what I used almost the whole day was a flying ant pattern. And it seemed like even when you didn't see a fish in the pool you are fishing, you could toss it along the bank, and they'd come out, and out of nowhere it seemed, and... Just no second guesses. They'd hit it pretty hard. That is awesome. I love those ant patterns. If you got a fly setup, you can use it with a fly, but if you got just a bubble and a regular casting setup, you can use that too. Yeah, absolutely. The flying ants is a very versatile pattern. That way, you know, flying the bubble, it works great along that line, but for a fly fisherman, it's a great go-to pattern right now. You cannot go wrong with that. There's a couple different patterns. You can go with the red ants or the black ants. What were you using? Mine was a black ant with a little wing on it. The pattern is called a sailor's hat because it's like the black tubular foam with a white top on it, but it does make a flying ant, and there were definitely flying ants around in, in the trailhead that we parked at, so I figured, what the heck, let's give it a try, and it worked out very well. Matching the hatch makes all the difference. Paying attention to the bugs you see around you really accelerates your chances of hooking up. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the keys to fishing success. A big part of this presentation, but... Having the right type of fly pattern that the fish is looking for, you want to try and match the naturals that they're already seeing go by as best as possible so they're not alarmed when they see something completely different fly by. And sometimes that can trigger a strike just out of curiosity, but a lot of times they're not going to pay attention to it because they've got this other food source that's just coming by in abundance. You know, like you said, presentation is so crucial, too. It's easy if you're out there on the water. It's easy to go too fast and make it look unnatural. Yeah, it is. Especially when you're newer to the sport, just beginning, or you're dealing with tough currents where within six feet in front of you, you've got three different speeds of currents working against you. But drag is something you have to really worry about. You want that fly presentation to look as natural as possible, especially when you're fishing some of our more popular waters, because those fish will get their PhD in fishing technique, and so anything that doesn't look perfectly natural, they generally will not pay attention to it. So anytime it's dragging or things like that, that can make the difference between a lot of success and no fish at all. 
But on the flip side of that, too, that's one of the nicer things with some of our grasshopper and cricket terrestrial presentations is with those bugs being bigger and having a little more power behind them, they can kind of push themselves across the water. So if you don't have a perfect presentation with those, sometimes that'll still work for you. A little bit of forgiveness for them, isn't there? (laughs) Yeah. They'll overlook some of that to ensure that they got that big whopper in their mouth. Yep. Also on the streams and rivers, drag-free drift is key as part of that presentation. If you can totally master the drag-free drift and pay attention to mending and everything, that is crucial to maximizing your chances of connecting. Yeah, a lot of times just that perfect presentation can make up for the fly that isn't just right what the fish is looking for. Maybe it's a little bit bigger or it's the wrong color or things like that. If it looks like a natural insect going down the water, sometimes the fish don't seem to notice the other little things that aren't right, and it'll make a big difference. But even if you have the exact fly that everyone else is catching fish with right next to you, if you don't have that presentation down and you're getting the drag or it's going too fast or things along that line, they're still not going to pay attention to it. Yep, exactly. That's one of the things that I think is one of the biggest challenges, I think, for beginning anglers to master. And once they got that, it's a game changer. Yeah, absolutely. And then depending on the water, yeah, it can be very difficult. That's where waders come in real handy. If you've got a current that's working against you, being able to wade out a little bit and get past that current so that you can get a better presentation, a lot of times that can make all the difference. As a fly angler, you become much more aware of the flows in the water. You know, most folks walk by it, they see it as a flow, but to realize that there are fast lanes and slow lanes and medium lanes and back currents and all those other things, you just become so much more keenly aware of what's going on around you. And I think that's one of the magic parts about fly fishing. Yeah, it's kind of a chess match with the river and the fish. I like to say a good fly angler wears many hats. One, he's an angler, but two, he's got to be an entomologist, and three, he's got to be a hydrologist to figure out the water. So if you can wear those three hats, well, you can have a lot of success. The crowds are tapering back just a little bit on some of the more busy waters as we're getting back to school again, and it's opening up the doors. Other folks are gearing up for the hunts, which means some of these waterways are going to be in the fall months, in the next couple of months, are going to see a lot more open water and a lot more opportunities. Yeah, absolutely, and ironically, it seems like the fishing picks up as well. The fish, I'm sure, have a little biological clock in their head, and they know the times of feast are going to go away here pretty soon, so they're very eager to feed, and crowds have died down quite a bit. I'm already seeing that on the Provo River and the Weber River, where through the summer months we can be awfully crowded, and now we're seeing a lot less people on there, and so it gives you a little more room to move, a little more solitude, but the fishing has just been fantastic. What's one of the biggest challenges as far as uh, using terrestrial patterns? What are some of the biggest mistakes you've seen? I know you do a guiding service. What are some of the things you come across most often as people have challenges with these types of patterns? One would be the presentation, not getting the bug in the right spot. Quite often because these terrestrials are being blown off the grass and the bushes right along the bank. That's ideally where you want to be throwing your fly presentation, and that creates some dangers of its own. It's really easy to snag on debris and brush along the shorelines, and so that can be a little tough. But, yeah, if you're not casting it into those zones where those fish are looking for them, I think that decreases your success. And then one of the other things is just trying to match the size and the color as closely as you can of whichever terrestrial you're mimicking, whether it's an ant, a cricket, cicada, grasshopper. You want to try and look as much like the natural bugs that the fish are seeing on the water as you can, and that will certainly increase your success. 
no sense throwing a bright green grasshopper when everything else they're seeing is tan. So pay attention to the colors of the natural bugs that you can see on the grass and just try and match that as best as possible. You're dealing with a bigger fly often and they're a little heavier. A little extra floating sometimes makes a difference too. Sometimes those flies aren't always set up to be as buoyant as you would hope they would be and keep them on the surface. Yeah, and with that added weight, it can change your cast, too, so be a little aware of that. It's a, a little different than casting a little size 18 mayfly and then going to, like, a size 6 foam grasshopper with rubber legs. You know, there's a lot more mass and weight there, so it does change your casting a little bit. But, yeah, making sure that it's floating the way it should and you're getting it right in where you need, those are two important keys. As far as tippet, any suggestions on tippet, the connection between your line and the fly itself? I'd go a little heavier. One, it's a bigger fly, so you can get away with it. But two, a lot of times with those aggressive takes and the bigger fish, you're really going to be taxing your tippet. So I would try and step up at least a 3X, if not a 2X, just to make sure you've got the strength there to hold on to that fish when he does take it. Have you seen any good reports, places where people might want to visit or sneak over to? As far as terrestrials, I know the Green River's been, since June when the cicadas were coming out, the green has been just great with terrestrials. I mean, they've kind of transitioned into grasshoppers now, but it's been a very effective pattern for them. Strawberry River is fishing very well with grasshoppers. I know a couple guys have had some great success there. The Uinas, maybe not so much grasshoppers, but with the ants and crickets and beetles, things along that line, you can do very well. I haven't heard much about the Provo, but I'm sure that would be coming on here any time. The Weaver would be really good with grasshoppers as well. Lots of destinations you could hit. The Boulder Mountains as well is a good place to hit this time of year. They're starting to get ahead of that spawn. It won't be long now, and they get a little more aggressive too. Yeah, absolutely, and they should be fishing well. Yeah, as far as terrestrials with your beetles and your crickets and your ants as well, that should be a very effective pattern down there. If you're bringing a new angler out, it's a very visible presentation. You can easily see that from a distance. If you can cast out, they're good. Fun for beginners. If you're going to create a lightning bolt, send up that line to the angler. It just gets them excited, and it's memories that uh, will last a lifetime. Little kids, if you can hook them on with a big fish with a terrestrial pattern, it's something they'll never forget. Absolutely. And the other nice thing, too, with beginning anglers, with mayflies, we have to get a real delicate presentation. We need that fly to just lay down ever so softly on the water. With terrestrials, it's okay if it slaps the water a little bit because they're such a big bug. They get blown out of the brush or the grass. They're going to hit the water pretty hard. You don't have to worry about the little things you do with the smaller flies. Good way to get some of the technique down, and then you can refine it from there. That little extra splash sometimes actually helps creates a little attention there. We'll be looking around and seeing what's going on if it doesn't scare them off, and it's just like ringing the dinner bell. Yep. Now, you got lots of different patterns right there at Sportsman's Warehouse. If people are shopping for terrestrial patterns, what are some of the hotter selling ones right now? With our supplier, Rivers Wild, they came out with a kit the end of last year, earlier this year, for tying grasshoppers, and they've got it in an array of colors. And now the flies that they're supplying, they're having their tires tie them with these kits and they look fantastic. The hind legs they put on them are so realistic. They seem to be incredibly effective, and we've got those in colors anywhere from pink and gray to uh, flesh-colored and uh, chartreuse, plus your tan, and we've got just an array. But two of the more popular colors are your tan and your lime green or your chartreuse. The pink 
I've never seen a pink grasshopper, but we sure sell them, and they seem to work well. <laughs> the crickets and the beetles, I do the fly orders, and I can't even keep them in stock. They're just flying out of here right now, so all of those would be very good choices. Another thing to think about are those attractor patterns. They don't oftentimes represent a specific bug. They just represent a buggy appearance, and they tend to work well, too. Yeah, stimulators are very popular this time. In a big enough size, maybe with rubber legs, it can simulate a grasshopper. But there's still some stoneflies that are hatching. We'll get into some bigger caddis hatches, and those can match those really well. But even then, here again with that time clock ticking in these fish's head, they see that big presentation go by, a big meaty offering, and a lot of times just out of their own greed, they'll hit it. Let's take a quick break. Be back in a few minutes. We have Mr. David Richards with us from Sportsman's Warehouse. We'll meet you at the Tying Vice next on Western Life Radio. Personal security is up to you as a person. TaylorGunsmithing.com Celebrate the 60th anniversary of Utah State Parks with an annual State Parks Pass. Visit Utah's crown jewels throughout the year with a wide range of activities for your entire family. From boating and fishing to special events or educational opportunities, Utah State Parks offers plenty of adventures, scenery, and memories. An annual State Park Pass gives your family day-use access to most of Utah's 43 parks, featuring history, beauty, and recreation. $75 annual passes are good for 12 months from date of purchase. And don't forget to make camping reservations year-round. Options include tent sites, deluxe RV sites, cabins, yurts, and teepees. Stop by the trailhead for your next outdoor adventure at stateparks.utah.gov. Get ready to ride PWCs and OHVs this summer season with Utah State Parks Online Education. OHV education is required for youth aged 8 to 15 and PWC education is required for youth aged 12 to 17. Utah's personal watercraft and off-highway vehicle youth education programs required by law are now online at www.stateparks.utah.gov. Get connected with lightning-fast internet and telephone service through Rise Broadband. Formerly Digis, Rise Broadband raises the bar to internet service, connecting you with family, friends, businesses, and information you need every day. Rise Broadband is dedicated to connect customers with people and things that they value most, 
covering rural, remote, and suburban areas. Whether you're researching the latest news, enjoying the latest blockbuster movie, or chatting with friends, Rise Broadband provides reliable connections for everyone. For more information, visit risebroadband.com or call 844-411-RISE. Again, that's 844-411-RISE. Play safe, play sober. BUI is boating under the influence. It is illegal to operate a motorboat while under the influence of alcohol. And in Utah, BUI penalties are the same as DUI. It will cost you money and may cost you your life. Play safe, play sober. Visit stateparks.utah.gov. This message brought to you by Utah State Parks Boating Program. to Western Life Radio with your host, Brian Brinkerhoff. Welcome back to Western Life Radio. I'm Brian Brinkerhoff with Mr. David Richards from Sportsman's Warehouse. You know, tying flies is a great family activity. It's a great friend activity. It's an opportunity to share stories, tell lies, learn about fishing places to go, learn new patterns, how to use them, and really develop those skills, it's a great pastime when the weather's a little off or even when you just can't get away and just want to prepare for the next fishing adventure. It's an awesome opportunity. Not to mention you gain those skills. You gain an idea of what the recipe is for some of these flies that you hear about. There's a lot of classic recipes, a lot of classic patterns that have been good for hundreds of years, but a lot of these recipes are also evolving too. I mean, there's new materials coming out, high-tech changes in the way these patterns are evolving providing new opportunities and to get your hands on some of those materials and see how they operate and give you some new ideas. Maybe you might be the developer of the next big cool fly too. It sparks a lot of synergies. Absolutely. You can get pretty creative with them and sometimes just tweaking the material you use on the thorax of a particular nymph that's always served you well. That can make a big difference between a couple of fish and a lot of fish. A lot of the synthetics we're coming out with now are doing things with light and the buggy look and all sorts of stuff that just natural materials never could do, and it's increasing success that way. And materials you would look at in a bag and think wouldn't work on fish can turn into some of the best fishing patterns out there. I like to use Lance Egan's Rainbow Warrior as an example. I mean, you look at it, and it is just like a spotlight. It is so bright and so flashy, and then looking at it, I never would have thought it would work for fish in the way that it is because of how bright and flashy it is. And it is an extremely, extremely effective fly. So it's funny to see just a little change or even some big wholesale changes can make all sorts of difference in fishing success. Talking about that brightness, you know, there's another angle to the brightness as far as the viewing spectrum for those fish. The UV spectrum, a lot of us don't see as humans, but underwater that really can pop. And I know there are sprays out there to make that bug look a little more buggy, a little more realistic to them under that water. And I don't know if you sell them or not over at Sportsman's. I'm guessing you probably do, where you can put a little spray on them and give them that little extra pop of that UV light. We do. That is definitely one of the new trends with tying materials is that UV spectrum that the fish see in. And they're finding a lot of insects will communicate via these UV lights. And so sometimes 
that's what the fish will key on. And so yeah, we can carry everything from the spray that you can spray on any material and add UV refraction all the way to the whole line of tying materials from Spirit River that they've treated with different UV characteristics and make some of the neatest, most amazing flies. And so everything from a saddle hackle to dubbing to peacock to marabou, it's all treated in this UV and it can make a whole difference in what the fish sees. You're right. I was visiting with Mr. Denny Rickards. He's a pretty famous fly guy and he's been testing a lot of that and seeing some great success with it. And you can see the hits just increase significantly once you try that. I know a lot of anglers probably try to keep that secret. That's their secret weapon they don't want to let out. But it's available. It's ready on the market. It's not behind the shelf or anything. It's right there available to try. And if it makes a difference, you know, especially for a new angler to see that success early on, keep that magic going and kindle that fire for a new angler, I think it's a great tool to get them started. Yeah, absolutely. If they're trying to keep it a secret, the secret's definitely out. I don't see a lot of UV materials used in production tying. What you'll see in the bin at a fly shop and tying your own, I would definitely utilize materials with UV on them because they seem to be making just a world of difference as far as fishing. We're just, as humans, we're just now learning in the last couple of years, that's how fish see is within this UV spectrum. So these colors and these light refractions, as humans, we just don't see it. But even when you tie a fly with UV coloring, you can get a black light or a UV flashlight and shine it on your fly. And then you can see what that fish is going to see and start to develop their patterns to mimic certain parts of that bug that you want to really stand out to the fish. And so they'll key on it and it's opening up a whole new world as far as fly tying and fly fishing goes. UNAs offer so many different unique experiences. I mean, if you're targeting grayling, for example, if you know the waters and you know how they react to certain types of flies, you already know all that information, it cuts down on the learning curve. Or the golden trout, or knowing where to go catch the golden trout, or there's just a vast range of opportunities from the brookies to the rainbows to the cutthroats to anything else that hides up in those waters. Yeah, and you definitely fish the water a little bit different than you do on the bigger waters like the Provo or the Green. So it helps to know how to read both types of waters. You have to target fish in those high altitudes. You're definitely in the pool on a river. You're going to target the high altitudes more than you would the more popular waters. So there's definitely a little more of a learning curve there to be successful. But knowing where to go to target a specific species and finding these types of species like the golden trout and the brookies to some extent and the grayling, places you've got to get to for these species that you wouldn't be able to target on some of our local waters or the closer waters. It's definitely a neat experience to see some of these fish that are pretty rare and you've got to work a little bit for, and especially the grayling and the golden trout. They're generally going to be a little bit harder to get to places, but they're such magnificent fish and such a unique experience to get to them. It definitely should be on every fly fisherman's bucket list to catch one of those. I think so, too. The first time I ever caught a grayling, I couldn't believe how spectacular they were, the colors, and when the sun shines and that top fin, wow, just like a rainbow. It's unbelievable, and they're tasty little guys, too. They're not big. They're little fish sticks, but they are tasty when you cook them up and pop them in your mouth. They are quite the colorful fish, and they're a little misleading when you just have them in your net, and you're looking, and they're pretty kind of goldish bronze color, but yeah, you stand that fin up, and it's like, oh my goodness, that spectrum... There's just a rainbow of colors through that fin. 
they are quite amazing. Golden Trotter being restocked again after at least 30 years. They have not been stocked in the Uinas, and there were a few small populations still hiding around a few of those waters, but now they're getting to be catchable. They are in that catchable range, and that is a unique fish, too. That's one of the ones that's still on my bucket list. I haven't hit them yet. It's great that they're bringing those back. They're just, as far as trout go, they're probably one of the prettiest fish, I think, and having opportunities to go after them here again is fantastic because it used to be northern california was one of the best places to catch them and so now that we have opportunities for them here again in utah and hopefully a better population so there's more chance and opportunity there it's going to be a lot of fun i think it's going to open up some new opportunities for anglers and won't just be that one random golden trout you catch when you're least expecting it now you can actually plan a trip to go after them specifically and knock that off your bucket list I've tried fishing it before, but I never connected the dots, and it has been an elusive prey for a while for us. But I know the opportunities are getting better now again, which is very exciting for anglers. Utah is a unique fishing destination. It has so many varieties of fish, so many different ways you can fish. Anything under the spectrum, from bass to big stripers down at Lake Powell, even if you wanted to chase after carp or some of these high elevation waters for the trout, there's something for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. You hit the nail on the head from stripers and bass to pike and muskie and the grayling and the golden trout. I mean, there's such a wide array of opportunities in this state. We really are spoiled in what is within a couple-hour drive for us to take in and experience. This is a fantastic place to be. Sportsman's Warehouse, you have the whole team right there, too, if people want to learn some things or pick up some equipment and make their next adventure even better. Yeah, we've got a great bunch of guys here at our Midville location. We've got a lot of experience and knowledge from fly fishing to bass fishing and walleye. And we've got guys that have got a lot of talent in almost every aspect of fishing here in the state. So pretty much any question we can certainly help with and be happy to spend the time with you and make sure you know, when you go out the door that you're set up right to have success. Great friendly staff. They're willing to help you to make sure that your next adventure is the best it can be. And you may as well take advantage of that advice. Sometimes one item might cost a couple dollars more, but the rewards of having the right equipment for the right application makes all the difference. Yeah, absolutely. And for getting that one little key piece, it can make the difference between a great trip and a lousy trip. So we want to make sure that you're leaving with everything you need and might be some things that you didn't even think of that we can help you out with and make sure that you're having as much success as possible. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the listeners out there? Good luck and tight lines. Take advantage of these last weeks of summer, folks, as we approach fall. You know, there's some neat opportunities. Kokanee are starting to turn color again pretty quick here, and that's going to be a fun opportunity to check out. Usually about the first or second week of September, you'll see them in the rivers getting ready to spawn, and there's a spawning event usually like the second week of September, and check out those fantastic colors. And right now a lot of them are starting to stage and starting to blush up just a little bit. We're starting to transition from that summer to fall fishing, and so there's just a wealth of opportunity headed our way as fishermen and anglers, and there's some fun times ahead. I appreciate you taking time with us along the shoreline. We'll talk with you soon. Sounds good. I'll talk to you then. Thanks for having me. Have a good one.
ready to ride PWCs and OHVs this summer season with Utah State Parks Online Education. OHV education is required for youth aged 8 to 15 and PWC education is required for youth aged 12 to 17. Utah's personal watercraft and off-highway vehicle youth education programs required by law are now online at www.stateparks.utah.gov. Personal security is up to you as a person. TaylorGunsmithing.com Only in the forest can you see this. And this. And this. But nothing beats the moment you see that. Cool! That's your child's eyes opening up to a world of possibilities. Because one trip to the forest can spark a world of difference. There are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours at discovertheforest.org. Learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go, like hiking, canoeing, fishing, or camping. Or create your own adventure with family and friends, and you might just see this. Your moment's out there. Find it at discovertheforest.org. That's discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Celebrate the 60th anniversary of Utah State Parks with an annual State Parks Pass. Visit Utah's crown jewels throughout the year with a wide range of activities for your entire family. From boating and fishing to special events or educational opportunities, Utah State Parks offers plenty of adventures, scenery, and memories. An annual State Park Pass gives your family day use access to most of Utah's 43 parks, featuring history, beauty, and recreation. $75 annual passes are good for 12 months from date of purchase. And don't forget to make camping reservations year-round. Options include tent sites, deluxe RV sites, cabins, yurts, and teepees. Stop by the trailhead for your next outdoor adventure at stateparks.utah.gov. Get connected with lightning-fast internet and telephone service through Rise Broadband. Formerly Digis, Rise Broadband raises the bar to internet service, connecting you with family, friends, businesses, and information you need every day. Rise Broadband is dedicated to connect customers with people and things that they value most, covering rural, remote, and suburban areas. Whether you're researching the latest news, enjoying the latest blockbuster movie, or chatting with friends, Rise Broadband provides reliable connections for everyone. For more information, visit risebroadband.com or call 844-411-RISE. Again, that's 844-411-RISE. Back to Western Life Radio with your host, Brian Brinkerhoff. Mr. Ty Hunter with Utah State Parks and Recreation is joining us at the launch ramp. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes with us again. Hey, you're welcome, Brian. It's always a pleasure, as I say so many times when we talk, to be able to sit here and discuss boating safety with you and with the listeners that follow you. It's so much fun to talk about these things. 
temperatures are getting hot, people wanting to cool down, have some fun in those waters, and certainly we cannot emphasize enough safety while we're playing. Yes, Utah is the second driest state in the nation, and with that, though, we have almost 2 million surface acres of boatable water within the state, and a lot of people, when that heat turns up outside like it is right now, They're flocking to the water. They want to come out and have fun. And, yeah, anytime that we can have an opportunity to discuss boating safety and safety, just those that are out there in the water, that's a good thing. We got a lot of celebrations, and nothing could put a damper on it faster than someone getting hurt. And, again, I wouldn't feel like I'm doing my duty as a broadcaster not sharing these points. It's so important, but good reminder, we just need to keep these things in front of our mind because if we do this up front, then we don't have to worry about the consequences later. Yes, that's a big thing, and then as you mentioned that, it's always a good thing for folks that are coming out, whether they are operating a boat or not, is to know where the safe places to go are, what safety items you need to have if you have a boat, what you need to have on that boat, and what other things you need to be on the lookout for if there's weather conditions that will be coming up. You can't stop, and you can't do too little. There's always so much out there you can do to research and find out what you can do to make your family activity, your group activity, one that is fun and safe. And so we would invite anybody, especially if they are voters, to come to our website, boating.utah.gov, to get the latest updates and information about boating safety and the required equipment that is needed on their boat. And there is a wealth of information there. We'll have links on our website, folks, at westernliferadio.com. A lot of us are trying to beat the heat. These 100-degree temperatures, even out on the water, it gets pretty warm. So a lot of people are trying to take a dip in these waters and refresh themselves. Life jacket is number one. If you're going to jump in the water, make sure you darn well have a life jacket on you. Yes, I will say this, that if it's 100 degrees outside, that's just a little bit over what we maintain for our body temperature of 98.6. And then we jump into a water that might have the surface temperature of about 70 degrees, and then your body starts moving down through those different gradients. They get a little colder as you go deeper. There's a pretty big change, and it starts that little bit of that shock there. And if anybody's ever dealt with that, of either having cold water popped onto them in the shower, or either if you've got an older home that maybe if you flush the toilet or somebody does something with the other water someplace else in the house, cold water hits you, that's a big shocker. And that's kind of what this is, is it's that refreshing shock, but that can have some issues to you as you drop in. You'll do that gasping, and you may suck in a little bit of water that you don't want to necessarily have inside of you. And so that's where we gas to swimmers and boaters alike, just everybody that goes out in the water. Please have access and wear a life jacket. They do buy you time in those times when you have that cold water shock or that cold water immersion that goes on. So life jackets are a very, very important thing for those that are going to be out there in the water. And it really does not matter upon your swimming ability or swimming levels or expertise that you have. Stuff can go wrong, and for such a little price, it's the best insurance investment you can make. A lot of times people think, oh, well, that makes me less tough. There's nothing less tough than being dead. Just being smart. So many people cramp up. You see it all the time. Well, I'm tough. I'm going to swim across this arm of the reservoir or something. And once you cramp up, it's hard for people to come and help you. If you're too far away, it just takes a lot of effort to catch you. And a lot of times it's just too late. 
this buys you time. This buys you what you need, and you just can't go wrong. You know, it doesn't make you any less of a guy. It doesn't make you any less tough by wearing a life jacket. It just makes you that much smarter and that much more alive to enjoy more activities next time. I totally agree with you. I mean, it maybe is not the greatest thing, but it's a bit of that shock factor. You look a lot better in a life jacket than you do in a casket. Very well put. <laughs> that's excellent. So that is something that may seem very insensitive, but that's true life when it comes down to that type of decision is do I wear my life jacket or not? It just depends on, hey, things can go wrong, and they can go wrong very, very fast. And start thinking about being able to go home at the end of the day. That's the biggest thing. And we go through and think about this at work, and you think about, I want to be careful. I want to do what i got to do. I have my safeguard. I have the things that I need to keep myself safe, and they either be required by employer or by state law or federal law with that. But when we're on vacation and we're out just having a good time, we need to be taking some of those little things from work and start incorporating them into our off work times. And so this is one where you need to not leave that at home or leave that at work. You need to bring it with you to where you have that safety item, that life jacket with you. Think about it. I mean, in the 70s, very few people wore those seat belts, and it took a lot of legislation, a lot of laws, and people started wearing them. And as a result, we're seeing lots of deaths go down anyway in those accidents, and it's making a difference. And these life jackets can do the exact same thing. They've developed these. They've modernized them. They're more comfortable than ever. There's no reason not to wear a good life jacket and have it accessible when you need it. Yeah, I can't top that. I think you said that just perfectly. Whether you're water skiing or riding those rafts or whatever it is you're towing behind the boat, there's been a lot of accidents on that side of things over the years. Over the years, that's probably either a number one or a number two cause of some type of injury while folks are out on the water. And so we ask folks, please be careful while you're out there, especially when you start to get to where you're out there. You want to start towing somebody behind you, either upon a tube or water skis or a water ski on a wakeboard. Any of these towable, even you can get to the point of thinking is that you're wake surfing with that. You kind of have to pull and tow to get that person up. Just remember that anytime when you're doing that, there are many other factors out there. And a lot of it has to be is if you've got multiple people on a tube, man, we get an awful lot of heads that get knocked together and get popped. And people go to the hospital with serious situations where there are pretty serious concussions, lacerations that occur to their head. And so... They're either getting sewn up or they're going home and having to make sure that there's nothing wrong inside. So that's just kind of a big thing to have people watch out and look for. A lot of these things we can't prevent from occurring. If you catch an edge on a wakeboard and you fall down and whack your head on a board, that just happens. I mean, but be able to know that it is there and try to stay within the bounds of where you can to keep yourself to where you can keep going for the rest of the day and you can go home and not have sometimes a loud, fancy ride in an ambulance to the hospital. Get yourself looked at and taken care of. So just be careful in what's out there. And then transitioning into that is the operator. Man, a lot of times that operator is trying to hurry back around and get that skier up or get these tubers back on the tube. And sometimes they hurry a little bit too much. They get a little too close. Sometimes the folks that are in the water that they're trying to come back and pick up or get the tube or get the rope to sometimes hit them. They sometimes burn them with the rope. The rope zips past them so fast. And so you're an operator and pulling it. That's a big, big responsibility. 
and make sure that you give plenty of space. And when you are approaching your person that's in the water, that you do so at a wakeless speed and very carefully and make sure that if you can't see the person, you have somebody on board that is spotting and making sure that they know where it is and where that person is and that they are pointing to show you where that person is so you can steer that boat around to where you can actually have your eyes on them. Let's take a quick break. Be back in a few minutes. We're talking with Ty Hunter with Utah State Parks and Recreation. We're raising the flag next on Western Life Radio. that Utah's off-highway vehicle and personal watercraft youth education programs required by law are now online at www.stateparks.utah.gov. All youth must carry this certification while operating on Utah's waters or public lands. OHV education is required for youth aged 8 to 15 and PWC education is required for youth aged 12 to 17. When carrying a firearm, always treat it as if it were loaded. Always keep your finger off the trigger until your sights are on target and you're ready to fire. Never let your muzzle point at anything you're not willing to destroy. And always be sure of your target, its environment, and any other safety hazards. This announcement's been brought to you by TaylorGunsmithing.com. It's 6.42 p.m. Time for Steve Plato and his son Dylan to do the dishes. They talk about everything from the yuckiness of girls to the awesomeness of his soccer team. Sometimes they don't talk at all. Then, hey, the dreaded <laughs> splash fight. It's dad o'clock, and it's the best time of the day because the smallest moments can have the biggest impact on a child's life. Take time to be a dad today. Call 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Now back to Western Life Radio with your host, Brian Brinkerhoff. Mr. Ty Hunter joins us once again along the shoreline with Utah State Parks and Recreation. And, you know, it's a very important thing to raise that flag as well. If you got somebody in the water that they're not skiing, you got to raise that flag to let other boaters know and be alerted that there is somebody in the water and they got to watch out. That's the funny thing we kind of laugh about. We call the flag. And it's funny, within the rangers that are out doing the law enforcement on the water, we had a little joke in there, and we called it the ranger flag. And it's the flag that only went up when the ranger was in the area. And really, that is so true, but it's so sad, because we have people that are in the water, and those flags, their main purpose is, is when that flag is up and showing, that is to signal to other boaters that there is somebody in the water in a proximity around that boat. And so it gives that warning for them to either slow down or change their direction to where they can avoid coming and possibly hitting that skier in the water or that person that's falling off the tube or the wakeboarder so they don't hit that person there. So just remember, fly that flag only when the people are in the water. When they're up and being towed, you can put that flag down. But, man, when somebody falls in, you fly it and you fly it proud. Almost seems like it's gone out of fashion almost. You don't see that as much as you used to. It's frustrating. It's frustrating for our law enforcement folks. 
there's nothing worse from the time that I was out in the field that I really didn't want to have to stop and ruin somebody's good time out there and give them a ticket for not holding up a flag that they actually had there. So, folks, if they can just remember to do that, it's that person's life that's on the line that's actually in the water. And that observer, that person that's supposed to be holding that 12 by 12 international orange flag, that's their responsibility to signal to other voters that that person's in there, please don't hit them. They're important to me. And so that's the big thing that we're trying to get out there and have folks do. But compliance on that slacking off, and if we can try to get the word out a little bit more and let folks know, that it's the bad fashion statement by not having it up there. We need to be showing this is a good thing to be showing those flags when the folks are in the water. This is a big deal, and I appreciate you bringing that up. That's something I haven't heard for in ages, it seems like. Yeah. Those harbors are really not great places to swim. That's one of those places that probably aren't one of the better places to make your decision to jump in that water and swim around. That's true. Swimming and swimmers and boats sometimes are not a very good combination, especially if we're in congested areas like marinas, around our boat docks, launch ramps. That's not a good place for a swimmer to be. There are many things out there that can get you from carbon monoxide to the props, especially with that. It could be just simply you not being seen, and you can get your head bumped against the hull. That's crazy. And then some of the places, too, we can talk about it. There's electricity that could potentially start coming from boats if there's any type of power out on the docks. So that's just some stuff to kind of keep out. And you can understand that swimming and those congested areas are not a good place to go. There are times and places for those to occur, and they usually are sanctioned type of an event. And the safety precautions and the segregation of uses and things have all been planned out and taken care of, and that is mainly all there so those swimmers are being kept safe and going. The best place to go swimming is to go into a cold area, either a swim beach or some place where we don't have the congestion of all those boats that are around. So made swimming areas were a great place for folks to go and be able to stretch and do some of that open water swimming. Families or anybody who wants to get out there, I mean, it's a high traffic area. Folks are anxious to get off the water or get on the water in a hurry, and they're not really expecting to see somebody swimming around in there, and they may not notice you. And the swimmers oftentimes so engaged in the swimming act, they're not paying attention either. So it's really not a good combination, and they're either anxious because they're late they got to hurry and get home for an engagement or something, or they got to get out there and get on the water to go fishing or playing or whatever. So people's minds are not focused on who's swimming around or what's swimming around me. It's one of those things that you tend to find yourself out there, and you're looking around, you're going to be looking for those bigger objects. The other boats that are trying to do the same thing that you're doing, either getting off the trailer or getting on the trailer or coming in and approaching the dock, and you're focusing on that, and sometimes... The focus isn't brought down a little lower to the surface to see somebody's head bobbing in the water. Maybe that splash to be able to bring that attention to that somebody is there. And so, yeah, that's the big thing. It's one that voters, if you're in those congested areas, please be looking below what you would normally be looking for with your boats and looking at that water surface to make sure there's no swimmers around. But as other folks, they're there. And swimming needs to be in the areas that are designated for them in those congested areas our ramps, our docks, and just in our marinas as a whole. It's not advisable. It can be in some areas and the distances that are marked. It is against the law. So please go to those designated swimming areas so you can make sure that you're safe. Carbon monoxide is a big issue. 
not just in the harbors, but everywhere. Years ago, I remember there were multiple deaths over at Lake Powell because of the carbon monoxide. And people weren't aware of that as much as they are now, but man, it just sneaks up on you. They call it the silent killer for a reason. It is with that. Last year, we had one carbon monoxide fatality that occurred up on Bear Lake. Our rangers up there investigated it. It was so close to the state border, whether it was Idaho or us, it doesn't matter. It was a fatality that occurred due to carbon monoxide. And like you said, it is a colorless, odorless, tasteless killer. That's really what it is. And it is present around any combustible motor. So any motor that's going, it can be your boat motor, whether inboard or outboard. If you've got a generator on your onboard your boat, it's there. Even if your motors and generator are not going, it can come from another vessel that's nearby you. Just remember that anywhere where that exhaust goes out into the water, that's that big danger zone around a boat. And we just ask people to take care and don't be in the water around there, not only from cuts from props, but mainly that carbon monoxide is a big deal. And then the other thing is we now have got to shift to more of this wake surfing, and it's that very social event at the back end of your boat where someone's up on a surfboard and they're surfing the wake behind that boat. Everybody's flooding to the back of the boat make sure that the weight gets larger and we're all back in there. Well, it starts to magnify this backdrafting or this station wagon effect that occurs where the gas tumbles back there. We start to bring more and more people back towards the back of the boat. That station wagon effect will actually pull it in towards the passenger area of the boat and it'll actually raise it up off of the surface even higher because now there's more of a wall for the aerodynamics to create that phenomenon where it will occur and folks will start to get headaches, nausea, dizziness, even irritated eyes. These are the signs and the symptoms of carbon monoxide poisoning. So please be aware of them. And it'll actually raise it up off of the surface even higher because now there's more of a wall for the aerodynamics to create that phenomenon where it will occur and Folks will start to get headaches, nausea, dizziness, even irritated eyes. These are the signs and the symptoms of carbon monoxide poisoning, so please be aware of them. My goodness, I didn't even know that. A lot of times you'll attribute a headache to sitting under the sun all day or a little dehydration or something, but could actually be carbon monoxide knocking people while they're enjoying the day on the water, too. Yeah, so I've only seen it a few times. And I'm hoping people have moved away from this, but teak surfing, that's where you hold on to the swim platform of the boat, be drugged behind. That, if you want to have a bad day, that's something to do because you probably will not be going home. Not only is it illegal, but it can be extremely deadly for the person out there. So please do not, operators out there, please don't let anybody get around your swim platform while your motor's running at all with that because it only takes a few seconds for some people. It really depends on the body type physical condition that occurs. It can even depend upon the fatigue that you may have or the exposure that you may have accumulated for the day. And if you're back there getting around the back of the boat, dropping down into that lethal cloud, boom, it can be over. So just make sure that your motor's turned off, don't swim around the back of the boat, and make sure that you get plenty of ventilation. You start feeling your headaches and things like that. That's something that you need to be thinking about. Maybe do I have something wrong with my boat? The other thing is, is just simply listen. Know and understand your boat. Carbon monoxide detector will be good if you have a cabin boat or down in a cuddy. 
put those carbon monoxide detectors down in there and test them every trip to make sure that they are working. The other one is is make sure that you keep some of your hatches open so you can keep good fresh airflow coming from the bow of the boat in. Listen for the changes of exhaust sound, just to the sound that your boat makes. Because if there's a change, it could be something wrong. It could be a leak. And having that leak, it may be expelling exhaust fumes inside the passenger compartment of your boat. So just be careful with it. It's one that is very, very hard to see just because it's clear, colorless, odorless, and tasteless. And we would death very quickly. A lot of us think, well, you know, I could tell if there's something wrong with my engine. I could smell it, you know, or I could smell it's running rich or it sounds like it's running a little rough or something. But monoxide, it'll get you. I mean, I've actually experienced it before. It wasn't with a boat. It was with a trailer heat exchanger it had cracked and it was functioning properly. Just had a cracked heat exchanger and it was blowing monoxide into the cabin of that trailer. And I had headaches. I flu-like symptoms almost. I was not feeling too well. And eventually we found out what the problem was and it scared the bejeebers out of us. Well, a little bit more could have knocked us out and we may not have woken up again. And it can cause problems, and a lot of us don't figure, well, you know, we're out in an open area, but that monoxide will lay on there like a blanket, and if you're a swimmer or if you're hanging around the back end of that boat, it could get into your system, and it takes a long time to get out of your system again. Monoxide sticks to your blood cells like glue, and it doesn't let go. Yep, it does with that. So, I mean, that's just something to be very careful with. It. It's just one of the other big dangers out there that folks sometimes they forget about. Play safe. Boating accidents happen quickly. You never know when you might end up in the water. Wear your life jacket and have a throwable life preserver on board. Remember, Utah boaters wear it. Call 801-538-BOAT. Visit stateparks.utah.gov. This message brought to you by the Utah State Parks Boating Program. Get connected with lightning-fast internet and telephone service through Rise Broadband. Formerly Digis, Rise Broadband raises the bar to internet service, connecting you with family, friends, businesses, and information you need every day. Rise Broadband is dedicated to connect customers with people and things that they value most, covering rural, remote, and suburban areas. Whether you're researching the latest news, enjoying the latest blockbuster movie, or chatting with friends, Rise Broadband provides reliable connections for everyone. For more information, visit risebroadband.com or call 844-411-RISE. Again, that's 844-411-RISE. Discover the 
Woods. You've been listening to Western Life Radio, a 25-year outdoor and Western lifestyle tradition. Thanks for joining us. May all your days be filled with new adventures. I'm Brian Brinkerhoff.